My guest today is Brandon Vaught, and Brandon is really a fantastic uh, guest that we have with us today. He has a brand new book out. He has uh, an incredible life story. He has a lot of things that he is into, and uh, we're just thrilled to have him on the podcast. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Hey, why don't we start out by telling uh, listeners of The Daily Saint, uh, who are you, what do you do, and uh, you're a young guy, but you've got moxie, and, and I think we both know that, you know, age on, on the younger end or the older end, it, it's kind of irrelevant nowadays, and I think, you know, the idea of retirement age is just at, blown out the door, and we've got the CEO of Facebook, you know, barely uh, of drinking age, you know, so I mean... <laughs> To me, the age is kind of irrelevant, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? All right. I am a, I just turned 25. Uh, I live in Orlando, right outside of Orlando, Florida with my wife, Kathleen, and uh, we have two small children, Isaiah, a little boy, is two years old, and our Our daughter, Teresa, uh, is about 10 months old. Uh, I work full-time as a mechanical engineer, which is what I got my degree in at Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, I graduated there in 2008, and that was also the same year that I experienced about five or six major life changes uh, pretty much simultaneously. I, uh, I converted to Catholicism. Uh, my senior year in college, that year, uh, the Easter Vigil of 2008, I moved uh, down here and got married to my wife. Uh, I So we moved into a new apartment. Uh, we just got married. We moved to a new parish. I got a new job, and I ended up in a new church. And so uh, a lot of things have kind of happened in the last few years. And, and then, of course, I had two kids to that equation, and uh, it's just been a wild ride. That's pretty awesome, and you got a busy house. I'm sure you, your wife is a saint and uh, keeps your Absolutely. whole family together. Absolutely, and she's she's helping to raise two two saint to bees, and, and she's making me one as well. Amen. Hey, how about um, how about your journey of faith? You know, I, I know that um, my wife is a convert as well, and so often those who choose the faith are passionate. I know too that we're seeing some some really exciting things in the church now. Where, my gosh, whether it's um, Jeff Cavins or Scott Hahn or, or whomever, there have been some exciting things happening in the area of conversion. And, and I'd love to hear a little bit more of your story. Sure, I think the common denominator in all converts, the reason why it seems they're so zealous, they're so on fire, they're so in love with uh, this Catholicism, is that each of them chose it. I have so many other friends who, you know, were raised uh, in the church who were cradle Catholics or uh, who were just brought up in that culture their entire life. And so it was something passed down to them, not something that they had to fight through and struggle through in order to receive. Uh, and so I kind of I kind of went that latter path. I was born and raised in a Presbyterian church uh, where we went to church every Sunday. We went to Sunday school. We learned the basics of who God is, uh, how he loves us. Uh, I was familiar with most of the basic uh, biblical narratives, but like most young people, it never really hit home. It never took hold. And so it wasn't really until I went off to school that I really had a profound uh, spiritual conversion. 
uh, I mentioned that I went to Florida State University and kind of to appease my, my mother and my, at that time, longtime girlfriend, uh, I decided that I would continue going to church even though I didn't have a particular interest in doing so. And so kind of the first Sunday, I just rolled out of bed and went to the church that was nearest to my dorm and ended up being a Methodist campus ministry. And it was there over over the first three years of college that, uh, that I really encountered Christ for the first time. Before, Christianity had just been a collection of ideas, a set of moral principles, you know, a, a book of great stories. But I never really had an encounter with a, with a living, uh, moving, relentless, passionate God. And so it was there that I first discovered him. And it was there that I first uh, fell in love with scripture, uh, learned how to pray, how to worship, learned how to practice the spiritual disciplines. Uh, and so I really, I really count my time as, as an evangelical, as, uh, as good. I don't, uh, like most, like most converts to Catholicism, uh, especially from an evangelical background, I don't really reject much of, uh, what I gained. Instead, I see Catholicism kind of as a fulfillment mm -hmm. of all the good things that I learned uh, through my evangelical faith. And so my senior year, uh, there was a bunch of weird circumstances that kind of converged to me exploring Catholicism. Me and my girlfriend, who I've been dating since high school, uh, began seriously uh, talking about marriage. And so uh, she, Kathleen, was a, a pretty devout Catholic, and she attended daily mass, and she too was going through uh, a sort of spiritual uh, 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 um, kind of uh, uh, reconversion type of experience in college. And so she too was beginning to become on fire for her faith. And so we both counted uh, God and the spiritual life as central to our relationship, but we didn't know how that would play out religiously, especially after we got married. Uh, we started asking, you know, are we going to go to the same church? Should we go mm -hmm. to different churches? Uh, you know, would that be okay? Would it not be okay? And so all of those questions kind of spurred me to, at least out of respect to her, start exploring Catholicism. Um, interestingly enough, uh, my own pastor at this Methodist church recommended uh, that if I was going to explore Catholicism, which he had no problem with and actually supported, that I meet with one of his friends who was a religious brother. Uh, his name was Brother Jason Zink, and he was part of the Brotherhood of Hope. Uh, Their religious brotherhood whose charism is um, – campus ministry, and so they're, they're at a number of campus ministries up and down the East Coast. And so I did, and to my surprise, discovered that, like me, Brother Jason uh, came to Florida State University about 10 years before I did, hmm. and like me, had a very strong mathematical and physics background. Uh, he declared his major to be physics, and I did too before later switching it to engineering, but we both kind of had that analytical, systematic, intellectual approach to, to the spiritual life. Uh, even more, he came to college as a Methodist, and so he was uh, involved in precisely the same ministry that I was, that the Florida State University wow. Wesley Foundation. And even more, he held the exact same positions in leadership that I did. We were both in charge of preparing the Bible <laughs> curriculum for the small groups that we had throughout the week. Um, and then his senior year, he started exploring Catholicism and ended up uh, going through RCIA and uh, entering the church. Uh, and so there really was nobody better I could have talked to throughout the year to talk through my doubts, my struggles, my problems, my issues. And so uh, almost every week, every other week or so, we would meet and we would talk. And he eventually convinced me to at least enter RCIA as an explorer, not as one committed to definitely mm -hmm. join the church. And, and so I did. 
uh, he could he convinced me to start attending mass regularly, which I did, uh, and even more attending daily mass, which was incredibly uh, humiliating in a good way, uh, humbling. <laughs> <laughs> in that I couldn't receive the Eucharist, and uh, the Eucharist actually was a, a profound turning point for me. I became quickly convinced in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, and so I really spent the whole year going to Mass every day knowing that the Christ that I've been following for uh, for the last couple of years of my life was present bodily in front of me, yet I couldn't receive him. And so um, all of that made it that much more special when at Easter in 2008, uh, at the Easter Vigil, I was confirmed into the church, and uh, it was it's really still been the highest point, really, of my spiritual life, receiving the Eucharist for the first time. And then, kind of as a culmination, even more special, uh, about 20 to 30 of my friends from the uh, the Methodist campus ministry, including my pastor, all came wow. to the Easter Vigil and were cheering wow. me on, uh, most of them never having been to a Catholic Mass or having encountered any Catholics before. How about that? This was a really good uh, ecumenical solidarity type experience. How about that? So, I mean, it's amazing when God brings somebody like Brother Jason, uh, you know, or, or these different folks into our lives that only they could experience what we're experiencing at the exact moment at the right time. Uh, yeah. and, and terrific witness that the, the people from the, your previous community showed up, and uh, that was kind of an evangelization moment there as well. Um, yeah. We're speaking with Brandon Vaught today, author, speaker, convert to Catholicism, mechanical engineer. Um, Brandon, we talk a lot at The Daily Saint about uh, work, and um, I'd be curious to know, and I'm sure our readers as well, uh, how do you try to integrate your faith with your daily work? Sure. I think I, I, I've thought about this a lot, especially as one, you know, I, I work in the eight to five world. I dwell in a cubicle for most of my day. And so I like to count myself as the, the everyman white collar Catholic. And so these types of issues, they, they stir in my mind throughout the day. I always wonder how do I, you know, how do, what, what does it look like for to be an ordinary saint kind of in the cubicle felt world? And here's, here's what I've come up with, and it may not be the perfect answer, but uh, first, on an immediate surface level, I think any Catholic uh, in any profession needs to exhibit all the virtues, which include integrity and honesty and kindness. And you need to, at, at, the, at a very minimum, be a person that your coworkers can trust uh, to tell the truth, to be honest, and to be uh, a generously good person, even as secular-minded people accept it. Now, when it comes to what I think is the most often uh, difficult and controversial aspect of being a Catholic in the in the office world, which is sharing your faith and evangelizing, um, I don't admit to be the best, but I have noticed that uh, what's worked for me is to make uh, make it known to my coworkers that I am a Catholic, which then sparks discussion. And so let me let me unpack that for a second. What I mean is that instead of instead of trying to thrust the Catholic message into every conversation, even mm-hmm. if it's awkward or uncomfortably put in, uh, in my in my little cubicle, I have uh, I have a statue of John Paul, a bust of John Paul II that I got when I went to Rome. Uh, I have no, numerous icons. I have uh, <laughs> I have of all books right now. One of them I'm reading at work is uh, in between my breaks is a small condensed version of the Summa Theologica, and so all the of these kind reading. of conversations starter pieces that, you know, when, co- when co-workers walk over, they're like, you know, what, what the world is that? Is that a, someone's asking me, you know, is that a Bible? And I say, oh, no, 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 it's a, it's this work by this great man, St. Thomas Aquinas. Let me tell you about him, you know, or who's that guy? Why do you have that statue right there? And so 
what it's kind of done is established me, for better or worse, as the resident Catholic uh, in the office. I think almost everybody knows now that, that I'm Catholic. And so that, I, I think, has been the best thing I've done when it's come to evangelization because um, it's opened up numerous side conversations uh, with other people. And so instead of me proactively putting my message out, people have come to me and asked me questions and, and whatnot. People aren't stupid. They they know that actions speak louder than words, and um, I, I'm sure that you're you're giving a great witness uh, to them, even in your cube. You know, um, yeah, I try. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. You and your new book, The Church and the New Media, have made quite a splash. And, and for those who are listening, um, I, we'll be sure to put in the show notes a, a series of other interviews that Brandon you've done with with other media outlets and. Um, they're terrific. I mean, you've got quite quite a, an amazing um, initial outpouring of support here. Uh, the book just came out this week. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. Today's the official release date. Okay. So, so you're bu- this is a busy time for you. That's cool. Uh, it's called The Church and the New Media. And it, let's say I'm uh, I'm on Amazon.com. I've got a Kindle. Um, I'm sure it's going to come to iBooks eventually. Uh, give me the the elevator pitch about what The Church and the New Media is all about. Sure. The point of the book, the, the reason we wrote it was to help Catholics to effectively and faithfully use new media. And when I say new media, I'm referring to tools like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, blogs, podcasts, text messaging, and interactive websites. Uh, when I first started coming up with the idea for this book, however, I knew that I was not an expert in all of those fields. Uh, I've been blogging myself for about six years, and so I feel pretty comfortable in that realm. And as a young adult, I, you know, I'm pretty active in Facebook and Twitter uh, and YouTube and whatnot. But I knew that there was a number of other Catholics who were using these tools especially effectively. And so I kind of gathered a lot of different friends and innovators and experts in the field to each contribute uh, a chapter of their own on their area of expertise. And so besides me, there's 11 other contributors. Uh, And then we've uh, unbelievably had Cardinal Sean O'Malley of the Archdiocese of Boston contribute a forward to the book, and Archbishop Timothy Dolan, the Archbishop of New York, to contribute an afterward. And in between those, we have four sections to the book. Uh, The first section explores how new media can be used to evangelize. The second one uh, looks at the relationship between new media and faith formation. The third one looks at how new media can build community. And then the fourth one looks at new media and the common good. Boy, it sounds really exciting. We've had Lisa Hendy on the uh, podcast. She's a good friend, and uh, yes. and some of the, you've got some real heavy hitters in, in in your your cast of authors. There, it's pretty exciting. We're speaking with Brendan Vaught, author, speaker, convert, mechanical engineer, and now I'm sure soon to be best selling <laughs> author of the uh, Church and the New Media. <laughs> hey, Brendan, I've written a lot over the years about how the church, you know, really has a lot to learn from um, social media and and how it can be used for good. If you were to give the church a grade when it comes to social media, um, what, what would you give the church? And, and as a follow-up, are there some bright spots? Maybe it's people. Uh, I follow, I read Cardinal Sean's blog. I'm a big fan of his. Um, but what are some of the bright spots in the church regarding uh, social media? If I had to assign a grade, unfortunately, it'd probably be close to a D. And that might be disappointing to hear. Uh, but when I started putting the book together, I kind of told people that my general take as a student of this new media revolution is that 
compared to most Protestant communities, the Catholic Church is a good two to three years behind the trend in adopting these tools. And compared to the secular world, I think we're really like a good half decade behind. And so we got a lot of catching up to do. Unfortunately, I think the reason why I would, I would grade them so low is that uh, the church seems to be missing the primary foundation of new media, which is dialogue. Uh, even the examples of dioceses, parishes, and individual Catholics who are using these tools, um, there's, there's a number of individuals who are using them correctly and effectively, but when it comes to the institutional church, uh, unfortunately, she's been trying to use it much as a broadcast medium, much as you would use a newspaper or, or just a static website, which is just to get news out, to mm-hmm. post updates and bits of information, but not to really welcome any type of conversation, critique, dialogue, or commenting. Uh, I know uh, my own diocese uh, has is un- operating under the same uh, mindset as are many other ones where, uh, for instance, we have a Facebook page for our diocese where the diocese posts updates and stuff, but uh, they don't allow comments whatsoever, and so there's kind of no two-way conversation uh, going on there. But there are some bright spots. If I had, if I had to name a few, here, here's what I'd say. I think uh, the premier example of someone within the church using new media both appropriately and effectively is Father Robert Barron. Father Barron's a priest based out of uh, the diocese, the Archdiocese of Chicago, and he's the founder and director of Word on Fire Ministries, and they have a really wonderful website, wordonfire.org. And Father Barron bills himself as the world's first podcasting priest. I'm not sure if that's accurate. I think it might be, but he's been uploading his homilies for uh, almost a decade now uh, to a podcast. He has over 500 of them. Uh, But the most interesting thing he does is he posts these seven to eight minute vignettes on YouTube. And on each of these vignettes, he'll comment on a piece of popular culture. So whether that be like a new movie, like True Grit, or whether that be a Bob Dylan song, whether that be a book by one of the new atheists like Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, uh, he kind of offers a Catholic take on each of these bits of popular culture and then welcomes feedback and comments, and he responds and engages to these people online. Uh, he wrote the first chapter to the Church of New Media book, and in there, he, he quite bluntly uh, explains that, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the feedback I receive is negative. Most <laughs> people that interact with me on, on these YouTube forums are anti-Catholicism, anti-priest, anti-religious, anti-God, and so... I receive a ton, a ton of just hate, hateful, vitriolic words. Um, but he says there are a few. There are a few who, you know, would never in their wildest dreams uh, find themselves talking with a priest online, yet who are maybe interested or at least intrigued by what this priest is saying. The Word on Fire group uh, kind of analyzed their their uh, statistical demographics and found that uh, the the demographic that watches and, and responds to these videos the most is 20 to 30-year-old young men who are mm. secular-minded. Wow. And so Father Barron likes to say, you know, me as a priest, how else outside of new media right. am I going to ever have a conversation with one of these young guys who would never darken the doors of a church? Absolutely. And so I look to him as kind of a premier example of someone using new media well. I've, you know, through my, my blog, thedailysaint.com, it's given me an opportunity to interact with people who aren't Catholic, aren't Christian, 
Um, they're just regular people. They're good folks. They're working in the field. They're trying to feed their family. They're trying to make a difference. Um, and for me, Web 2.0 has really given me that uh, ability to bridge the gap. I think many, many Catholics, the older they get, the fewer non-Catholics they interact with on a regular basis. And even my kids were saying the other day, they say, gosh, you know, we have a lot of friends who are Catholic. And I thought that is good. That's what I want for them as they're young. I just don't want them to lose the ability to have a conversation with a non-Catholic. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to, to kind of shut ourselves up inside this Catholic bubble. Uh, one of my favorite verses that pertains to new media, it's one that Father Barron cites in his chapter and one that Pope John Paul II was particularly fond of, was to compare the Internet to uh, the Areopagus that Paul ventured up to in the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts, Paul kind of takes this strange, shocking, surprising message of the resurrected Christ up this giant hill in the heart of Athens where all the philosophers of the town were gathered and were tossing around uh, differing ideologies and philosophies. And he kind of takes the Christian message right into that arena and says, listen to this new, this new message about this new man who came and died and rose from the dead. And just like Father Barron, many of the people there said, oh, you know, get, get this guy out of here. They were right. trying to throw him out. We don't want to hear this. Um, but there were a few. There were a few who said, you know, we're interested. We want to hear more. You know, come back later. And so I think the Internet allows us to do um, exactly what you were just talking about. It allows us to go into spheres of life and spheres of philosophy that we would never think of venturing maybe in real life. But uh, kind of with the anonymity of online and the comfortability of engaging people online, we can we can break into and interact with a whole new world of people. It's pretty exciting stuff. It really is. And, and I hope that folks are going to pick up uh, the church and the new media. It, I'm sure it would make a great gift for Labor Day as we're getting closer to uh, September and the start of school. Uh, what parent out there wouldn't want to get a little bit more media savvy as they're interacting with their own kids? Hey, Brandon, uh, we're almost out of time. How can folks get in touch with you, whether it's to learn about your book? I know you have a very popular blog, The Thin Veil. Maybe you could share with our, our listeners how they can get more of Brandon Vaught. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, <laughs> if you want to read my blog, The Thin Veil, you can find it at thinveil.net. And if you want to find out more about the book, we have a, a really robust website at churchandnewmedia.com. And if you go there, you'll find all sorts of, of uh, bonus information that's not in the book. Uh, you can find more information about the contributors and links to each of their blogs and websites. Uh, but more importantly, we have a really, really in-depth resources section that offers articles, tips, videos, presentations on all of these tools, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc., and also a pretty good section on uh, parish websites in particular that I'm really hoping people that uh, work in parish communication structures or even if you're a layperson and you'd like to help your parish develop a, a richer website, um, there's some good stuff there. Yeah, Brennan and I beg you for folks in parishes, please, if you don't want a better parish website, we want you to have a better parish <laughs> website. So, hey, Brennan, thanks so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Mike. It was fun. Uh-huh.